people through their music. Out of the Box with Joey Watson on FBI 94.5. Hello, FBI Radio listener. Joey Watson here. This show is Out of the Box. Every Thursday from midday to one, I sit here rolling through the records of one person and I delve into the stories behind them. In the 1970s, a group of women decamped to Amazon Acres, a property in northern New South Wales, to create a small society completely free of men. Amber Jackson was one of them. As a kid, she grew up with her mum and a bunch of other women in a feminist hippie commune. In March, she's speaking at the All About Women Festival at Sydney Opera House, but today she is speaking to me, Amber Welcome to Out of the Box. Hi, Joey. How's it going? <laughs> Not too bad. Amber, can we start uh, at the beginning here? What did your family look like the day you were born, if I can ask it that way? Oh, that's another whole um, crazy story. My mother had me when she was 23. Uh, she was a teacher in high school. <laughs> And my dad was actually her student in year 12. So that was very um, risque. And he was, I think, 18 and she was 22 when they met. Was that a known controversy? Uh, I think, I mean, I don't know whether it was considered illegal then, but yeah, she was, you know, very... um, you know, it was frowned upon totally and, you know, they got into trouble. So she ended up, I think, leaving her job. But um, she was um, pregnant by this time and when I was born, my dad was 19 and my mum was 23. But they separated before I was born. So they were pretty in love by all accounts and everyone like the fam well my dad's family was um behind it and my dad apparently wanted to be with my mum but I think she at this point was feeling like maybe she'd made the wrong choices and um decided to um have the baby as a single parent and do it alone. Yeah. Even though your dad's family was completely supportive of yeah, the idea I of think, him being a very young parent. Well, I think she kind of just realised that, you know, he was pretty young and thought that she maybe would have a better um, chance at raising me on her own because because of his age, I guess. So your mum's decision to do it alone, which in many ways was kind of radical, I suppose, it in was the early at that 70s. Time. Like it, and her family weren't behind her at that point. Where did where did she um, take you? Like what what was the uh, environment in which in she lived? Yeah, and I think I mean I can't I'm not sure where she went and lived when I was first born. I think it was she told me a few stories like of having to kind of, maybe that was when she was pregnant, actually, no, she was um, nannying for a, a family. Like, and basically she had a scarlet letter written on her forehead, you know, everyone knew, you know, what she'd done and everyone was hating on her and um, she was having a really rough time. So, you know, early 70s at that time, you know, it was. I think she decided to keep me because it was when I think off Whitlam had just changed the laws maybe that year in 1972 and she was going to be able to get a single parent pension or something like that um so she kind of fought to keep me and then when I was a little baby she went and lived in a communal big mansion apparently with a whole a bunch of other hippies and that was kind of the first communal living that she had done. Do you have memories of, of no, that? No, like I was six months old at this point. But she said, it, you know, it had this crazy big massive ballroom and it was just like this incredible mansion in Adelaide. So she said it was pretty wild. But, you know, I mean, she was coping with a little baby and stuff. So, you know, she had a fair amount on her on her plate. 
What What are your earliest memories of those sorts of living arrangements that came as a consequence of being a child of a single mother in the 70s? I don't remember anything from Adelaide when I was two. I sort of first memories I can really think of were in Melbourne and I think we moved there when I was three or four and um, a house that she shared with another woman and her son um, in Melbourne and I burnt a room down. (laughs) (laughs) How did you manage to do that? Um, Mum was out and I turned on the heater and something that was hanging on the heater in her room caught a light and I decided to um, just shut the door and go to my friend's house. And I remember thinking, what should I do? And I was scared I was going to get in trouble, which I wouldn't have because I didn't have that kind of lifestyle where I got into trouble for things really. So, but no, I decided to shut the door and go down a few doors down to a neighbour's and um, the whole room burnt out with lots of mum's like really precious family jewellery and beautiful stuff so was that a a philosophical approach of your mum's parenting that you didn't get in trouble or was it just yeah uh, yeah she was like I think I always think about my mum as like a true hippie I think you know even she was just that kind of free spirit person who just really believed you know that good things would happen, bad things would happen, you know, if they were meant to be and that kind of thing. And I think she was very, um, you know, she would never get me in trouble. I mean, we would fight a bit later on, but, you know, I, she was never, like, into um, any kind of reprimanding or, you know, that kind of stuff. How old were you when your mum came out as a lesbian? About four, yeah. And she'd had a couple of boyfriends that I remember, but she joined a women's theatre group down in Melbourne and I kind of remember that because I remember going to the big kind of space where they had the theatre and meeting a couple of the other kids there and it sort of just ended up, you know, changing our life a fair bit. How so? Um, like sort of moved in with um, like a really massive house. I think it was in Fitzroy. Actually, it was two houses next to each other. And they were like, they were a bit like kind of squat houses, I think, like pretty sort of run down and they had, you know, done a lot of, um, you know, their own kind of renovations to it and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, just... Lots of people around, women around, men too at that point. But yeah, lots of sort of people in bands and, you know, fair amount of like drug taking and um, really alternative living. Were you old enough to detect any difference in the way that your mum was treated by society as a gay woman in that period in history? I remember that quite strongly, actually, because the women, they did look, you know, looking back on photos of them, they did look pretty um, out there and um, totally different to your, you know, average woman in the 70s. Um, Really short hair and, you know, denim or leather or, you know, just really kind of out their clothes no bras and boots or whatever so I do remember that a lot of the time they copped a lot of flack and quite aggressive kind of um, behavior from people and I just even remember sort of going out sometimes and you know fights happening because men would like spit on them or scream out horrible things and then the women would actually end up getting into like proper physical fights so yeah it was quite um daunting sometimes as a kid like and I also used to you know notice when mum got comments from men and stuff like that it used to be pretty horrible Perhaps a, a good moment to go to some Patty Smith. Your yes. first song is Horses. Why are we playing this one, Amber? Um, there's a few sort of particular musicians that I really, you know, just capture a moment for me. Like when I think back to those Melbourne times and that house in particular, you know, 
um, Joan Armour Trading and I think Bob Dylan. Mum used to love Leonard Cohen, um, Suzanne, and that was Mum's name, Suzanne, as well. She did change her name later. But um, Patti Smith, when I listen to it, it just takes me right back and I think it really captures that kind of um, hardcore sort of time, a bit grungy, a bit punky, a bit kind of... um, you know, living on the edge a bit and, you know, a bit of a sort of druggy sort of scene as well, sort of associated with that house. Um, but, yeah, Horses is, and it's awesome. Like, it still lives up so well these days that I could totally listen to it. So I thought this is what I'm going to pick. Boy, Johnny. Johnny wanted to run, but the movie kept moving as planned. The boy took Johnny, he pressed me against a locker. He drove it in, he drove it home, he drove it deep. And Johnny, the boy disappeared. Johnny fell on his knees, started crashing his head against a locker. Started crashing his head against a locker. Started laughing disturbedly when suddenly Johnny gets a feeling. He's been surrounded by persons, 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 persons coming in in all directions. White, shining, silver, first with their nose in flames. He saw persons, 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 Looking hair and found a stare. Not to waste time, I just walked right up and saw that up there. It is a sea up there. There's a sea up there. There's a sea, sees the possibility. There's no land but the land. 
is just the sea. Horses There and Patti Smith, a 70s classic. That was brought in today to Out of the Box by Amber Jackson. Uh, she's my guest. Uh, she spent her childhood in a feminist hippie commune in northern New South Wales. Uh, she's speaking at the All About Women uh, Festival at the Sydney Opera House. Today she is speaking to me. Uh, Amber... How old were you when you moved to Amazon Acres? I moved there when I was seven, full full time. Like I had gone up there a couple of times um, previously, probably from the age of about five. And um, yeah, I moved up there for good with mum when I was seven. From what you know of it, what was the idea behind it? I mean, you were obviously a kid, but why had it been set up? I think, um, you know, they were hippies and, you know, feminists, political thinkers, you know, there was lots of different reasons behind it. But, you know, to get away from the patriarchy and, you know, when I think about what it was like for them a lot of the time, I think, you know, God, why wouldn't you go and try and live up on a beautiful piece of land away from men who were, you know, pretty hard to deal with on a daily life. You know, not the men that they were friends with. You know, there was a few of them, but, you know, this was the lesbians wanting to set up their own sort of little um, utopia, I guess, and be free. Had it been tried elsewhere? I don't know. I think, um, like, I know that, there were women's lands sort of in maybe in Wales and Germany possibly, but I don't know if there was ones in other parts of the world previously. So where are we on the map if we're going uh, to Amazon Acres today? Uh, well, I guess, you know, I want to be mindful of people. You know, it's still up there, so it's it's um, near Port Macquarie. Okay. Was it isolated? Very isolated. 
Yeah. What What did that mean? <laughs> it meant that you know the the closest, I guess, little village had you know no shop or anything like that in it. So, um, you, I think the closest shop was probably about nearly an hour's drive. What, so. What's the terrain? Uh, pretty um like it varies actually because there's um different bits of land next to each other so there's um beautiful um rainforest and then there's like full-on bushland and yeah so it, it really varies but it's it's gorgeous and it's like thick are you, are you able to drive up to the property um it depends like sometimes if there's a tree down or something like that you can't um but mostly you can on amazon acres and sometimes you can on other bits of land that must have been daunting as a kid going up there yeah totally i was um i think you know i'd kind of gone up previously and i hadn't like it hadn't kind of hit me so hard as when you know i've just remember like being seven and carrying my backpack I was with mum and walking in and I just was thinking oh god you know no one's gonna come and um no magic bus is gonna come and pick us up and drop us out there this is it we're walking up these hills I've got my pack on it's a hot sunny day and I'm just gonna have to walk for hours and that was you know it was that was reality for us what was the built setup on the property pardon what was the built setup what what was actually there um so I mean there was different um, setups like when they first got up to Amazon Acres, there was like a, a kind of um, like a workers' hut I think that had been built when they first got up there, and then there was another little hut that we kids, you know, kids' hut it was dubbed, and um, then they did um, various kind of buildings over the years as well that were kind of some communal, some communal and some not, and then another part of the women's land there was a big old. Um, a big odd sort of weatherboard Queenslander type house and a couple of other um, buildings as well that not all of them remain. Was it self-sufficient? Did, did not you really. kind of grow and... No, like there was big stabs at people, you know, gardening and doing stuff and at times, you know, there was a lot being grown and stuff there. But I think a lot of the time it was kind of like our lives were... You know, there would go and be maybe like a big bulk kind of shop sometimes down in Sydney, you know, like big sacks of rice and lentils and stuff like that and big, you know, huge big um, tins of honey and oil and that sort of staples and then people would go into town and sort of top it up, you know, every two or three weeks with, you know, just normal fruit and veggies and bread and all that kind of thing which ran out pretty soon (laughs) (laughs) and what happened then um then you'd be eating like whatever random stuff was left over so like sometimes it would be you know we'd have you know three boxes of oranges and you know almonds or you know they'd often be lentils we had milk powder and so yeah we were just like hoeing into whatever we could get our hands on what about the social setup how how were decisions made um it was pretty (laughs) Uh, as kids we thought it was hysterical you know because we just would see our our joke was they needed a meeting to plan a meeting so, you know, it was pretty funny, you know, communal living. And I suppose, you know, everyone supposedly had equal say. So, you know, there was lots of, um, you know, disagreements and, you know, I'm sure there was lots of agreements and stuff as well. But it was just, it was pretty funny to watch because, um, yeah, it was very hard to get a decision across the line if you were, you know, going up against other people, I can imagine. It was, it would take a lot. A lot to persuade them. Amber, let's, uh, Amber, let's work uh, with some Patsy Klein now. What, what are we going to play? Uh, we're going to 
play uh, Walking After Midnight, one of our favourites. Why do we love that one so much? Well, it just reminds me of, um, it's kind of a few different reasons. Because of, you know, the whole walking theme, I thought it was good. And we love Patsy Cline. We loved singing this song. This was more, you know, the us girls who grew up there would love singing this and a few of the growing ups as well a bit of a country vibe and you know we just would walk and um, be riding the horses for many miles and for many hours so we would be like singing songs like this we loved uh, Dolly Parton as well so um, you know and as well as some of the like the women's songs that they used to sing. There was a lot of singing up there by the campfire and stuff. So I thought I would put um, Patsy Klein in. This is um, for my beautiful friend Gabby, who's no longer with us as well. Uh, I just wanted to put something in that reminded me of her as well. I go out walking after midnight decline and walking after midnight this show is out of the box my guest amber jackson grew up on a a feminist hippie commune in northern new south wales amber how did school work for you on the commune school was pretty sporadic we kind of you know my mum had been a teacher so i think i had that on my side in that she used to keep teaching me but it definitely wasn't something, you know, we did every day and for several hours. It was maybe, you know, it kind of depended. Like it, we had a pretty nomadic kind of life as well too. So it sort of would depend where you were and if you were sort of somewhere where mum was and she was wanting to teach, then, you know, I would do a bit. But, um, yeah, it was pretty random pretty crazy we had a few times where um we would get taught sort of a different by a different woman each week and that always just made me laugh because it was whatever was their passion or their major interest was what we did for a week so like I remember sometimes it was acrobatics sometimes (laughs) it was um women's anatomy sometimes it was like 
you know, feminist history and sometimes mum would do some lots of meditation and yoga. Um, we also had another um, woman who we dubbed Miss Grumps who used to teach us up at the mountain. She was a good teacher. Thank you, Mayling. Um, but, yeah, it was sporadic. It was crazy. Um, it, you know, it was a downside for some of the girls because they didn't get the education that they needed. So I think they suffered a bit from that later. I managed to kind of get lucky and I think I was always a reader, so that kind of helped me. And I ended up doing a year of correspondence in Year 7 and that was really um, full on and just so many subjects, you know. But then when I moved down to Sydney and came to school, I kind of managed to, I managed okay. How does correspondence work? Is that done over the phone? No, it's um, done where they kind of send you packages. And um, it was pretty funny. Like my first package they sent me, you know, there was someone saying, oh, you're so great at German. I'm going to put you on level 10 or something like that. It was like my first package. I'm like, I've never done German in my life. But yeah, it was it was pretty funny. So if school was on the commune, does, does that mean you ever really needed to leave for long periods? Or? Look, we did go to the local schools occasionally, but it was kind of so hard to get there on time that it became this sort of a bit of a running joke that, you know, it wasn't a joke, actually. It was a bit of a nightmare, but trying to kind of get up and get there. And sometimes we would ride there and it was just ridiculous. We would get there at 11 o'clock or that kind of thing. And, you know, it was we just didn't fit in at all. And we got teased a fair bit. So it, I did go to schools, other schools sometimes, but it was just for short periods of time. Was there any close relational contact with men at all during that period? We had um, a really good friend who was a brother of one of the women up there um, and he lived out sort of in the closest area. So, yeah, we loved going out and staying with him. And, yeah, he's he's still like my um, best friend who lives up in Harvey Bay. He spends a fair bit of time up there still. Um and there was like a old guy who lived out in the local kind of area as well who used to um, um, had a, you know, he was kind of known to all the women and we used to go and hang out at his place a lot and became really good friends with him. So, yeah, we used to go and hang out and watch um, Magic Monkey and... Countdown. We loved a bit of countdown. Like lucky because what? No TVs on the. Commune. No way. There was no power. So you had to yeah. go to his place for. Yeah, and that was committed commitment. You know, because we would walk two hours to go and watch a bit of countdown. So you know then that it's important. You know, it's sort of like our little um. I guess contact with the outside world Duran Duran oh my god so great your mum was a devout hippie did you have a rebellious streak against her rebellious streak ever did you have an appetite for popular culture for example I think um you know I'm just a very different kind of personality than her anyway so I think I'm probably more I guess a bit straighter more conservative but I'm not, you know, what I think it's kind of mum is so sort of out there and a lot of the women were so out there that I think even if you think you're more conservative compared to them, you're probably not compared to the rest of the world. Um, but, yeah, we loved as um, girls, we loved kind of Olivia Newton-John and Greece was huge. Like we used to sing a lot of the songs to the women and they, you know, I remember Physical, you know, by Olivia Newton-John. We used to, I think we took great joy in like singing probably inappropriate songs that they thought were ridiculous. Is that against the family religion? Did, yeah. Did that have that kind of reception? Yeah, yeah. Well, not my mum so much because she's not very judgy, but totally a lot of the women were just like... What are you singing? <laughs> Polluting. Yes, exactly. I think I remember we were singing My Angel is a Centerfold once and all the women were just like, shut up. 
Um, this is not an Olivia Newton-John song. This is uh, Nobody's Diary. Yazoo, what, what's this song here? Okay. So um, Nobody's Diary was more when I was about 11. And I think, you know, I was really feeling the hormones and getting um, into that sort of teen sort of age and stage where I was feeling all the emotions very heavily. Um, So I was trying to think back to a song that kind of captured it for me. I I remember I was listening to a lot of um, Sade and Eurythmics and um, I think I was finding it quite hard up there and was, you know, considering about, you know, my options and what I, where, where I wanted to live and sort of what I wanted to do. And, um, yeah, I think music's always really helped me with all of that kind of emotional stuff. So I had this sort of on high rotation on my cute little ghetto blaster that I had painted with mum's paints. Um, so, yeah, Nobody's Diary, it's um, Yazoo. Also, the, you know, the voice of Yazoo is Alison Moyet. Moye, I don't know how to pronounce it, but um, she's always been pretty cool in my book. I love her voice, but yeah, I was always feeling all these lyrics pretty hard when I was about 11, 12. And um, looking back, I kind of go, how embarrassing, but I think we've probably all got some embarrassing tunes that we loved at that age. So yeah, I thought I'd put it out there, Nobody's Diary um, by Yazoo. If I wait for just a second more I know I'll forget what I came here for My head was so full of things to say But as I open my lips, all my words slip away
That's Nobody's Diary by Yazoo. Uh, it was brought into Out of the Box today and FBI Radio by <clears throat> Amber Jackson. Amber grew up on a feminist hippie commune in northern New South Wales. She's speaking about that and other things at all about women at the Opera House. Uh, you can cop tickets to that event in March on the good internet. Amber, was there a moment during your teenage years when you realized that you had to break out or was it something that dawned on you gradually? Look, I think, you know, it was um, just probably a mixture of things, you know, adolescence and like that need to kind of break away definitely and it was just kind of I I guess I feel like it was um you know feeling a bit complicated up there and I wanted to be down in Sydney with my girlfriends and sort of make new friends and go to school I didn't want to go to school in Warhope so I wanted to come down to Sydney so it was a bunch of different reasons um and I, yeah, I was totally feeling the need to kind of move away and start start a bit of a, a fresh chapter down in Sydney. So you're about 14 at this stage. Yes. Did you have to break it to your mum? Yeah. How did you go about doing yeah, that? Yeah, I, I remember, you know, just talking to her and um, saying that I wanted to go to school and I think she was on board with that. I don't think she necessarily wanted me to come to Sydney but then you know Warhope High then was kind of I you know wasn't really going to be a place for me I I could see and I knew that she would probably be you know in agreeing with me in terms of that as well so so did that mean you had to move to Sydney by yourself yeah I I think it was you know a choice I wanted to to get away and mum came down with me and enrolled me in a alternative school down here so and I was sort of at first probably the first three four months I was staying with friends um, one place in Roselle and one place in Balmain and then um, after a, probably about six months I ended up sort of getting this um, more permanent share house which was run by the women's housing company so it was kind of a set up thing where you paid a percentage of, of your earnings mine was the big $70 on Ostudy <laughs> so I think I paid like $30 or $25 rent or something in a house in um, Merrickville and um, my couple of my girlfriends were living there as well. How did you go being so independent so early? It was, I mean, now I kind of just go, oh, God, I can't believe that I did that. You it's know, quite a I, shocking idea. Yeah. 14 seems incredibly young now. I know. It does to me as well. Were I you mean, significantly younger than everyone you were living with? Not really. No, like for a while we had one older friend there, but then she moved out and there was like my friends who were like, you know, 15 and 16. So we weren't that old. We'd... You know, we were pretty independent people, so it wasn't out of control. I mean, it was kind of, you know, it was a teenage girl's house with lots of friends coming over and stuff like that. But we kind of did, you know, we did the laundry and we did the cooking and we, um, you know, I went to school. And so, yeah, it was kind of in some crazy way it kind of did run okay. Did you go to school with boys? Yes, I did. Did go to was school, that boys. Shocking. It was really weird at first. I was kind of like, "How do I act?" Oh my gosh. Um, but it kind of, you know, I was going to this alternative school, so it wasn't kind of really hardcore strict or anything like that. And I think a lot of the kids there were they had either had kind of hippie parents themselves, or they had sort of had, you know, a bit of trouble at regular school so it was kind of quite interesting people going to the school and interesting teachers as well so that was good we've got strictly business now what what are we doing here epmd this is such a good 
track. Um, I've always kind of loved rap music, even though like I was a bit of a kind of alternative girl. Um, yeah, I'd always listened to rap music and then um, it kind of ended up taking over my life a little bit, maybe when I was like 15, because then I was sort of become a bummer chick. But I'd already loved rap music and always kind of really gotten into it with you know, f different friends. So um, just having lots of hip hop in my life has just been a constant. And um, I just was thinking about a track that kind of, you know, says, you know, a lot about hip hop and how good the music can be. Like a lot of the time, I think I had friends in the early days who were like, oh, what is this crap, you know? And there's actually, you know, it's such good music. And now, you know, it's everywhere. But I remember, you know, I used to have to, um, you know, try and listen, try and record it on my tape recorder, you know, from the radio stations at late at night and stuff like that. And, you know, there was Central Station Records. We'd go in there and, um, you know, just ogle over all the beautiful um, records. But, you know, they're all like $30 or something like that per 12 inch so they were totally out of our reach at that point um but yeah rap is good I still love it and um I thought Strictly Business you know would be a really good song for everyone to dance to To the master or the MC rap goddess No joke on the lyric, sorry to be modest I knew I was the man with the master plan To make it wiggle with jiggle like gelatin Just think while I sing and to the bring structure Don't sleep on the E You see something might rupture It don't take time for me to blow your mind It take a second to wreck it because you're dumb and blind So just lounge But you and MC climbers on the circus EPMD is a town Total chaos no mass confusion, rhyme so hypnotizing, known to cause an illusion. Like a magician, he draws a rabbit out of hat, son. I'm drawing more like a 44 magnet. MC Free, stop looking, listen, and try to imagine. It's traveling the speed of light, but everything's motion is frightening. Plus, I thought you were alone, you now enter dimension. Call the Twilight Zone, you're terrified. Plus, you can't bear the thought, you and I one on one. In the land of the lost, you start to shiver. Then you scream, my friend, you wake up monthly. Because you're dreaming again, but next time I'm on the scene. Do not try to distance, keep your mouth so suck a duck, because I'm strictly business. This is the rap season, where the East starts pleasing. Girls around the world, no need to be squeezing. When I roll, I show cool, always pack a two just in case. My brother acts a fool, I got the energy To put the girls in the frenzy, put in shock when I rock Give enough, I'm not stingy, make sure I don't bore when I'm on the dance floor Get busy, boy Like you never saw before, one flow Good to go, after the show I put your whole boy You sniff, blow Hell no, I have my whole life ahead of me No time to be sniffing My parents find out, then they start riffing So I stay A-OK, -okay, cause I'm the E if she's look me in my face, then the eyes get weak. Pulse rate descends, heart rate increases. Like beam me up, Scotty. I control your body. I'm as deadly as AIDS when it's time to rock a party. In all the respect, when I say my check, let a sucker slide once, then I break his neck. So when I say jump, you would power high because I'm taking no prisoners. So don't play hero and die. You're just a soldier. And I'm a green beret. I do not think twice about the entries I slay. So if you want a battle, I highly recommend this being your dog, mom and dad. Because I'm strictly business. Because it's over. My name is Eric Sermon and I'm back again. I see the head still turning in my so-called friends. They smile on my face behind my back. They talk trash, mad and stuff because they don't have cash. Like the E-double or the PMD. You drive the Corvette, I drive a semi-rock Suzuki. I'm a locksmith with the key to fame. Never hide myself. Always did the same. Play a lot because I'm hot like a horse. I trot. I ride the track and back. No, I'm not. I'm the mellow, the fellow, the one who likes to say hello to a fly girl at 
that is good to go with the slow tempo and the offbeat rhyme flow. Cause when I am in action, there is no time for maxing or relaxing. Just reacting and subtracting on a sucker MC who mouths keep on yapping and flapping. I lose my cool, then I start slapping and smacking you on a roll. Then I'll be starts jabbing and capping. No time to lounge, I'm packing a strap. And at my point of attack, I saw at you like an eagle. I'm the sheriff, and biting is illegal. So next time in town, I highly recommend this. You got to chill because I'm strictly business. Hey, yo, you double, man. Let them know what time it is. Yeah, I'm strictly business. You know what I'm saying? PMD is a full effect. Strictly Business uh, EPMD brought into Out of the Box today by my guest, Amber Jackson. Amber grew up on a uh, feminist uh, hippie commune in northern New South Wales. Amber, for someone that's experienced a completely non-traditional communal upbringing, what do you think about the traditional family unit? Well, it's interesting because I'm kind of in one at this point. I'm married and <laughs> I laugh my head off every now and then that I've got a husband and a kid because I never kind of saw myself, you know, as that person. And I still kind of don't see myself as that person. It's funny. I still think, ah, oh, yeah, no, I'm this crazy alternative, you know, thinker, feminist woman, you know. So I think you can be that as well and still be married and have a kid I mean I, I'm torn with it I, sometimes I think traditional family is fantastic and other times I just hate it I think you know women get massively raw deal and I, I just want to rebel against it all and I yeah it's, I'm, I'm mixed emotions ask me different day different <laughs> opinion how do you think it's impacted the way that you see the world I, I suppose in some ways it must have right do you see it tangibly look I think it's hard because when you're raised like that you um, are kind of raised to just it's a bit like fight the power you know what I mean like so a lot of the time I find it difficult because I just think that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, you know, a lot of the time. So that I find quite difficult because I feel, you know, every day, you know, that it's the inequality really a lot of the time. And I just, I guess I, it's sort of, I'm just trying to live a life where I think I'm true to my ideals and um, hopefully, you know, enough people, you know, will be thinking like this, you know, in the future where, you know, there won't be women getting killed every week from domestic violence and, you know, they will get paid the same and it just won't even be given. I just... I just hope you know I'm I have faith because I feel like you know with um gay people it's gotten better you know so surely with women it's going to get better I just I just have hope and I you know go to protests and you know I'm I'm always going to be the person who you know wants to try and join in all the fights for everything you know I've been going to protests since I was a little kid and I'm still going to them and I'm taking my son to them so yeah I, I hope it changes a fitting moment to finish with a prince song what are we going to play out with um so I'm a prince tragic from way back and I just um had this 
I gosh, there could have been like a million Prince songs that I was going to choose and uh, it was hard to choose because I was thinking, oh, eclectic, you know, unique, dancey, what should I go for? Um, but then in the end I was thinking about, you know, a night and I wanted to kind of um, finish with something that kind of involved my whole family, Monty, Johnny and I, and Johnny's always been a Prince tragic as well. That's kind of one of the reasons that I fell in love with him. But I thought about a night where Johnny, Monty and I were sitting in our old white Toyota Corolla outside of our old house in Annandale. I think it was probably about four years ago. And Monty was like three or four. And it was absolutely pouring with rain and we were sort of stuck in the car and there was a Prince CD on and um, all of a sudden Purple Rain came on and it was just one of those moments where Johnny Monty and I like singing our little hearts out and we were just like going for it and I just in my mind I was like this is just one of those perfect moments as a family like I was like that's our kid that's so our kid and he um, was going for gold as were Johnny and I um, singing in the rain to Purple Rain Prince gotta be done well as I say every week a huge thank you to my producers uh, Bree Jones and Rebecca Merrick who slogged away on this one thank you for their being and thank you Amber Jackson for being my guest on Out of the Box this week Joey that was awesome thank you for having me I really loved it
This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.